Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Jimmy Fallon Gong, and he operates the Programmed to Chill podcast, and you can find it anywhere quality podcasts are found. He also has a very active Patreon page, and I'll put a link to both his podcast and the Patreon page in the show notes, so you can click through and check those out. I highly recommend that. There's very interesting research, a lot to, very different than some of the other podcasts out there. But today I came across uh, something on Twitter that he posted that he made available and it really caught my eye and listened to it with great interest. And it was part of a seven part series that you can find on Patreon. But the title of that was the seventh in the series of the seven episodes. Title of that episode is PTK Smoking Gun, MK Ultra Project 39, Human Ecology Fund, Psychosurgery, and Ionia State Prison. But it's based, the seven-part series is FBI versus Program to Kill, which is a reference to the great Dave McGowan's book, Program to Kill. So I'm delighted to have him on, and he can talk more about his research in the seven-part episode and his other work as well. So Jimmy Falangong, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. So for people who may not have heard your name, I know that you've been podcasting for about a year now with great success. You have a lot of episodes, very interesting material. Can you kind of talk about your background and what led you into putting this to this kind of research together and then specifically the FBI first program to kill episode series? Yeah, I mean, my whole life, I've always done a lot of research, and I would always go pretty deep on topics, but I didn't necessarily have an avenue to share it with people. So I was on Twitter, and I started making these threads that actually ended up getting a lot of traction. And so I thought I could probably do a show. So that's the origin of the show. But I do like to talk about business, crime, parapolitics, and esoterica. Of course, I'm a huge fan, like you said, of Dave McGowan. <clears throat> the name of the show, of course, is in homage to that. So, <laughs> right. And so you've kind of done kind of your, but I, I think that a lot of your research is pretty unique considering what else is out there. I mean, how do you come across, what are some of those early threads you wrote about and how do you come across your topics? Yeah. So one in particular was I was looking at, you know, everybody was Epstein pilled <laughs> and they had Epstein brain. So, we were, you know, I, I was reading a bunch of different topics. And so I had the idea like, okay, well, you know, I was reading several different books and Jack Sarfati. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah, of him. Yeah, I know Jack Sarfati. Yeah. I've actually okay. talked to him. I tried to get him to oh, come really? around the show. Yeah. And he didn't take? He didn't take it. No. That's I funny. Was, I'm too small. Maybe I should go back and talk to him. But yeah, I've had an uh, exchange with him. His best friend is... Uh, that, that talk show host, I can't remember his name. Uh, okay, it'll come to me. Levin? Levin is his best friend. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Well, I was reading Sarfati's uh, memoir, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty out there stuff, but he talks about like receiving this like thing, like this call from the God phone, which was like, I guess, supposed to be like a UFO. Long story short, he was selected as like this bright gifted kid and then you know Sarfati was put in a like after school program with a pedophile named Walter Breen 
maybe they were doing like testing with Sandia National Laboratories. So like all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. So like this guy with a kind of similar background to Epstein was on the radar of intelligence as a kid. I wonder if Epstein ever was, you know, I did this whole thread on it. So that was one of the first ones that I got onto, but, <laughs> and there's a lot of ties there, but one of the main things that I like to explore is I read Program to Kill. And a lot of my show in general was just like going into Dave McGowan's footnotes and being like, there's no way, there's no way that's true. And then I go into the footnote and I find not only that Dave McGowan was telling the truth, but that there is even more evidence to support his thesis than I had originally thought. And for people who don't know the thesis of Program to Kill, it's basically that serial killers are not what they seem. They are not only deranged, lone, crazy people who kill people in, you know, to serve certain patterns of madness that they happen to hold. There, there's this idea, right, that to a certain extent, they might be manufactured, programmed, if you will, right? Right. And I'll, there's a flip side, and it's it kind of throws people for a loop because it's almost distracting from that general premise. But the flip side also is that there are like, essentially, I hate to use the phrase cult, but like there are cults and organized crime that carry out murders that sometimes serial killer killings are attributed as, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at Berkowitz, uh, pretty mm -hmm. much clear to me that that was sons of Sam, not individual, you know, but that's just one yeah. example. Exactly. And Lord knows you've done a lot of work along these lines in a number uh, of Manson avenues. too. I mean, they they've said mm -hmm. they had like, uh, I think it was Ricky Fromm said they had 18 kills, but nobody can attribute all of those kills to them. So why is she saying that? That's just one other example. And you talk about programming. <laughs> That's a whole, I mean, Danny Trejo, that actor just came out within the last month and said that he was, he was hypnotized by Manson. So Manson had the capacity to hypnotize people. Oh, I couldn't believe that, but I mean, it's, I love Danny Trejo and like, obviously it probably was fine for him, but like it would certainly explain a lot about obviously the Manson family, right? Right. Well, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a lot more in there. I mean, you get into O'Neill's book and, uh, you know, you come across some familiar names about programming and, mm. and that's what your series really t talks about this seven part FBI program versus a program to kill, right? Yeah, exactly. So like speaking generally, like the general thing that I like to do is take a given serial killer and try to go deeper on the story than what's just in Program to Kill, which of course is an amazing text. But, you know, because it necessarily covers so many topics, <clears throat> he doesn't necessarily go super deep. So like I've tried to go deeper with like say Richard Ramirez or you know like Ed Kemper is another one so like with some of these guys you know if you go even more there's even more details that support the thesis that like something weird was going on beyond just like they're these weird aberrations that just happen in nature right <clears throat> right right but the general idea that like the FBI comes up with is that <clears throat> they 
they like to act like they coined this term serial killing, <laughs> but sequence killer was the term that they used before that. And there's this weird retconning where they sort of act like they not, they act like they discovered the concept. And, but like, even before that, there was like a German term for it. So like, there is definitely this idea that there is an ambient level of serial killing probably throughout humanity, but there's a huge uptick, of course, starting in the more or less like the 50s, 60s, 70s, and then it does dip off again, right? Right, right. And, and why? what's the ex explanation for that, right? Like, why did they have these just brutal killers during the, that era, that 20, 25-year era? Probably. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's funny because other countries often would call serial killers an American phenomenon. And like, we all know, like, yeah, there's Jack the Ripper, there's people who kill multiple times in every culture, but like, yeah, there was this huge uptick and then it seems to have fallen off perhaps in favor of say mass shootings or something, right? right. The general premise that Dave McGowan takes, which I happen to agree with is that the uptick was due to essentially MKUltra and related projects studying and weaponizing it and then presumably stopping perhaps, you know, in favor of something else. Then hmm. So all these killings take place during that time of experimentation into behavioral modification, right? That's right. And the big smoking gun, which I, that's what I called it, was I was reading a completely separate thing. I was reading the book uh, In Search for the Manchurian Candidate by John D. Marks, which of course is a great book. And an old book too, right? It came out in like the 70s. And there was just like a one-off line in the book that mentioned that there was a program at the Ionia State Hospital in Michigan where they were studying sexual psychopaths. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> because I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the popular conception of MKUltra popular conception yeah go ahead no you're right explain that please well the popular conception is that it was cia dosing people with lsd without them knowing it maybe they did some spooky research giving people electroshock doing some psychic driving you know maybe dosing people who didn't know maybe some people got thrown out of some windows and there's the idea that that was mostly what it was about Unfortunately, but, it was much more, right? Right. Can you talk about what the more, all these sub-projects and all these, how, how vast it was? It was a much bigger project. Oh, yeah. So there were all kinds of different sub-projects. And we do know a fair amount of what each sub-project was. And... There were so many different sub-projects, and a lot of them, of course, were not related to LSD at all. So a lot of them were almost like just procuring certain new drugs or this or that, but a lot of them were studying hypnosis. A lot of them were studying Pentecostal movements. Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Looking into different types of trance states. So like, um, what's that uh, 
when you're driving and you get sort of hypnotized because you've been staring at the road. I forget the term. I don't know that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. There's but, some there's some weird terms like there's weird French ter uh, terms of different states of different. There's de many different states between full alertness and uh, sleep. Exactly. And so the CIA was studying all of these different types, like induced by music, induced by lights, induced by hypnosis and drugs. And it wasn't just a general interest in that. There was specific programs that were looking at sexual psychopaths who were committed in these mental institutions. And the theory, according to the, um, the documents that we do have, is that uh, predators like people like rapists and like pedophiles essentially have secrets that sort of mirror what spies would have if they were captured and don't want to like talk about their what they know so the the hypothesis was that you could sort of work on these guys and see if you could hypnotize them hypnotize them with drugs you know see if you can get them to talk about the things that would uh, they would otherwise not be they would be reticent to talk about and the idea was to study these this group of people <laughs> but what i found of course was that it went it kept going more and more so they would take these sexual psychopaths and study them and then from there they were trying to do psychosurgery on them to what end? I don't know. The actual findings of this project, this MK Ultra subproject, are classified to this day. But we do know that they were studying these pedophiles and predators. <laughs> and we do know that some of them were then released to the public, like the people were released to the public. Right. Fascinating. Can you explain what psychosurgery is? Yeah. So psychosurgery, we're talking like lobotomies. I think lobotomies are a specific type of psychosurgery. Psychosurgery would be like an umbrella term that could encompass more things, including, say, putting microchips in people's brains, things of this nature. And so they were doing that to these sexual psychopaths. And in fact, there was this really interesting like, law case in the 70s going into the 80s where basically this lawyer in Michigan was like, wait a minute, this sounds really bad. Maybe they shouldn't uh, be doing this. And so they, this lawyer filed a civil suit. And there was this whole interesting case that basically determined that if you were involuntarily committed to a mental institution, you cannot give meaningful consent to be experimented upon, which is like pretty good in my book. That sounds reasonable. The flip side was that a lot of these guys were then released in relation to the, like this whole situation they had. And the smoking gun in particular that I believe that I found, I haven't seen anyone else talking about it, was that Henry Lee Lucas actually passed through Ionia State Hospital at the time they were doing these MKUltra projects. Wow. And for people who don't know who Henry Lee Lucas, can you talk about him? Because he's something else. And his buddy, what was his buddy's name? Uh, uh, Otis. Otis Tool. It's yeah. Otis. He had a weird name, O-T-T-I-S. Mm. That's right. Not o Yeah, exactly. 
Now, Henry Lee Lucas is a very curious case because he, as far as anyone knows, he, we know that he killed like three people, including his mother. Like he was certifiably like pretty nuts. And he might have killed anywhere between, I don't know, 13 to 600 people. And I, I know that sounds insane because the range is so high. The range is so high because after a certain point, Henry Lee Lucas was taken around by the Texas Rangers, state to state, and he essentially confessed to literally 600 murders. And a lot of people have rightfully speculated that the Texas Rangers and other, you know, police departments were just clearing, you know, unsolved homicides off their books. And, you know, there's a whole mountain of evidence that, like, he couldn't have killed 600 people. You know, there's no surprise there. What's interesting to our story, right, is that Henry Lee Lucas <laughs> was committed to Ionia State Hospital. And while he was there, he told people, well, after he got out, and other people also testified to this, that he underwent a personality change while he was at Ionia State Hospital. That's incredible. Yeah. The right. hypothesis would be that they did something to him. And after he gets out of Ionia, whether or not it's 600, you know, that, you know, is a distraction. But like he did go on a killing spree. It's not clear to what extent. But he would yeah. go on and then he would be captured and then he would, you know, be retried for more murders and so forth. And Otis, he was hanging out with Otis Tools. There's videos of those guys hanging out together. And mm -hmm. Otis Tool was suspected in horrible crimes, just like and he was. I don't know what his background was, whether he was in a facility or something, but he was out of his mind, too. Like, really crazy. Oh, yeah. Very, very strange. And uh, they, uh, Henry Lee Lucas was the only person pardoned by George Bush Jr. out of Texas. <laughs> when they, you know, I mean, it's just the strangest story. Well, right. Why? I mean, right. why? Right. I I suppose the favorable, the less damning interpretation would be that he did such a solid with the Texas Rangers confessing to all the murders he didn't do. The right. much darker right. implication, maybe we should not state outright. Right. So he talks about the death hand. He's supposedly in this cult. And, uh, That's yeah, right. I mean, so after he was in prison a second time, or rather, you know, captured, he wrote this book where he basically says that he was part of a nationwide satanic cult. Now, I know you've looked at <laughs> a bunch of different satanic cult angles. What do you make of his claims? Well, there's a, not a lot of great evidence, but my understanding is that he crossed over the Texas border to go into north northern Mexico. Did you ever hear that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, and that is definitely Matamoros, but the thing about Madame Morris is that the reason Jesus Adolfo Constanza went to northern Mexico in that part is because that's where a bunch of other cults were. So that he mm -hmm. knew that that's where he wanted to start up a cult. So Henry Lee Lucas's story has like a, you know, a little bit of truth to it. But whether I can verify that, I don't know. But. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because Henry Lee Lucas said that the like the paramilitary training camp that he was at was in Florida, right? Prior to going to Mexico. 
And of course, we know that there was, in fact, a bunch of paramilitary training camps in Florida. Right. So, like, you know, whether or not he's telling the truth, he's at least saying something that could theoretically be possible prior to the satanic cult angle. But how would he know all of those elements? Like, how would he, I mean, how could he be lying about that is really kind of an important question. Like, he he's not a very sophisticated person. He's not, Yeah, you know, I think he was like a single only child and you know, not much schooling. Yeah, mm-hmm. not much schooling. So how could he come up with a clever lie like that is a real question. Exactly. Yeah. And of no, course, but... Juarez, Mexico would go on to have a ongoing, like, huge murder problem, you know, to well this day. Into... Exactly. To this day. Yeah. Ciudad Juarez is like a slaughter. I mean, the girl, I did a show on that, and they think the body count is 1,500 to 2,000 women for over the last 20 years. Astronomical. It's off the charts. And they, they think it's hard for people to believe, but. That these killings, and it does happen in these groups. You can see that in the, um, this is definitely Dave McGowan territory, but you can see it in the Ripper crew. The murders seal the group together. And mm-hmm. that's probably what happens in these cults too, Sons of Sam, these other cults that we know of, is that the murders bond the people together. So it's a it's something they do. They may not be in communication with each other, but that's what they think is happening in Ciudad Juarez. Juarez. Femicide murders, yeah. Terrible state. Exactly. Um, yeah, so he's just one example of these other people who've been in or around state hospitals or doctors. Can you talk about Dr. Lund? I mean, he passed away. I, I came across his name. I know he was a Stanford guy who died. I think he died in 2007, but he there's some connection you made between him and the Atlanta child murders, right? Oh, yeah. So he was a Navy man. Uh, he was, uh, let's see here. Uh, he was, he testified at the trials of both John Lindley Frazier and Herb Mullen, both. Uh, he also testified in the Hollywood Strangler case, for example. Uh, he testified at the Patty Hearst trial and the Dan White trial. So you do get the impression at a certain point that he might be kind of like, if you're cynical like me, one of these guys who will specifically like be brought in for high profile cases where maybe the state particularly needs a certain thing to be proven. That's my contention. Right. A specific outcome, right? Mm-hmm. He was also People's Temple Jonestown. So you've got, mm-hmm. I mean, people don't, people have heard of Jonestown as a CIA operation. But they may not know about Patty, Patty Hearst's background and Herbert Mullen, too. I mean, these these guys, it's not believable. <laughs> I mean, can you talk about Herbert Mullen? Like, was he experimented on or what's his what's the real story? You know, it's really interesting because Herb Mullen. OK, it's so Santa Cruz, right? Like at one point they had two serial killers operating more or less at the same time. We're talking Ed Kemper and Herb Mullen. The thing, and like John Lindley Frazier is like not very far. And no, they're all the kind of in the time. general vicinity. Mm-hmm. I just did a, a show on that, a guy who wrote a book about those three. I'll put that in the show notes too. Wrote a book about yeah. those three murders. Yeah. Really good. Very well written because he just used first person accounts and put mixed them together and made the narrative. So really fascinating book. 
Exactly. And the thing about Mullen is that like, it just frankly doesn't make sense because there is sort of this understanding that a lot of your listeners probably know that like serial killers have this particular private compulsion, you know, often it's linked to like rape and murder. So like Ed Kemper, right? He would stalk attractive women, abduct them, you know, abuse them, etc. Herb Mullen confessed to like a baffling variety of crimes. Like we're talking like a burglary, a home invasion that like killed like a whole family and then like a sniping and like a stabbing, like it with serial killers, there's typically like almost like you would say maybe a refinement of a particular obsession. And like her Mullen was just like a grab bag of crimes. Right. And like the theory that Dave McGowan comes up with is that her Mullen maybe didn't do, probably didn't do most of them, if any at all. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. So why does he say that? I'm not aware of that. Well, just because, like, let me see here. I have my Mullen notes here. But he was weird. And he, in court, he looked like he was hypnotized. I mean, I, I didn't study the case in great detail. But he looked, Mullen and Frazier were whacked out, man. Yeah, they both drugs were. Or what, yeah. And the interesting thing is that they went to trial around the same time. They were caught around the same time. And they, I believe, had the same prosecutor, same judge, and a lot of the same experts were brought in for both. Right. And I think they were held in Redwood City. And I think that Kemper said that Mullen or Frazier was like in the jail cell next to him. They used to tease him. Like this, yeah. These guys were all around each other. So strange. And it's Lund was at Stanford, bizarre. right? Yeah, Lund was a psychiatrist at Stanford. Sorry. Yeah. Now, what's interesting with Lund or Lundy, I don't, I don't, you're probably right with the pronunciation, but like he treated it or he was, I should say, he was at a facility that Ed Kemper was at prior to doing his murders, which is remarkable because he never actually mentions the strong possibility that he might have seen him at any point in his testimony. Dr. Lundy's testimony uh, in the Ed Kemper trial. You got to ask yourself, like, did he ever see Ed Kemper? You know, when he was institutionalized as a juvenile, like, right. did he program him? Maybe I don't know. Right. And where was? Where do you remember what institution Kemper was at? I do. He was at Vacaville. So the infamous Vacaville. <laughs> Right, so that's yeah. where Hearst met uh, DeFreeze, right? DeFreeze, mm -hmm. to me, you can read that book. It's uh, Revolution's End. Great uh, book. Brad Schreiber, yeah, great book. I've interviewed him, too, so people can go back and look through that. But mm -hmm. something that I was astonished by was that Hearst knew DeFreeze before DeFreeze got out of jail. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge kind of operational chaos type of operate to me, an operation. Like, all the African-American guys no, didn't trust DeFreeze at all. But mm -hmm. all of these well-meaning white liberals, you know, they they took to him. But, yeah. yeah anyway, so Vacaville is in the Taurus. And I think that Manson went through Vacaville, too. Is that right? I don't remember. Off the top of my head, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm not certain. I know they were doing psychosurgery at Vacaville. <laughs> A lot of these same experiments as well. Yeah, and that wasn't uncommon. I mean, uh, West, Jolly and West had an anti-violence 
he proposed to do psychosurgery on violent people, literally mm-hmm. tamper with their brains and make them more docile. Like, and it sort, stuff, of, it sort of stands to reason that if they were thinking about possibly doing psychosurgery to make people, you know, less violent, it would also maybe stand to reason that they could do psychosurgery to make people more violent, right? The research would kind of, it's kind of like that bioweapons thing where it's like, if you're researching how to stop a plague, you necessarily know how to start a plague, right? Good point, right, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, I think they were testing that. This is all happening at the time of like, behavior modification and, and the CIA hadn't really been caught yet, right? Those all of the you know government oversight stuff didn't happen until the 70s, right? That's right. So and a lot of people don't know how MK Ultra worked. They didn't set up new organizations. They found doctors who were already practicing and supported research through that. That's so that it wasn't like they had to really farm out talent. They just found people who would go along with this program and do all these different experiments, right? That's right. So we're talking like all over a bunch of different colleges and universities, a bunch of different, you know, mental institutions, prisons, you know, you name it. Like for sure, they weren't like inventing a new facility for brain, you know, mind washing, brainwashing. Like they were working with this institution that was already there and the flip side of course too is that like then the uh the field is sort of is incentivized to uh not ask too many questions and not you know demonize any one doctor because chances are this other doctor was doing it and that one was too right and there was a lot i mean mm-hmm. i think there's a book ca doctors by ross i think great book yeah, you listed yeah mm-hmm there's a lot that people know and don't know. And, you know, supposedly the CIA destroyed all the documents. But if you believe that, <laughs> I have beachfront property for you in Colorado. Also. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, those files are still there. It's crazy, man. This this whole looking into this is really disturbing. And you talk about Richard Ramirez, too. And his, that guy, he might have, I don't know if he was ever in a, in a institution. But definitely he he had an uncle who was in Vietnam, right? That's right. His uncle was a Green Beret. Right. <laughs> and, so like the worst of the worst. So the right. Worst. And like for your listeners who might not know, we're talking the Green Berets were involved in the Phoenix, you know, program over there in Vietnam, which was a targeted assassination and abduction program that the CIA ran in conjunction with, you know, the army. And it was aimed at essentially like targeting like the Viet Cong leadership, but it was also much broader and worse than that. They would just, you know, most, they would also kill people with indiscriminately. And what's really interesting is that Richard Ramirez talked to his uncle and his uncle would have these photographs of literal war crimes that he committed just like almost unspeakable things in these photographs and he would tell him stories he taught him how to kill you know like really just like classic blowback i guess you could say right right no i think you're right and like he richard ramirez learned to love blood and all i mean just crazy stuff like 
I don't know how he got turned, but I'm pretty sure. I think Corso was the biographer or researcher into the Night Stalker murders and said that Richard Ramirez was associated with the satanic or not the Temple of Satan. What is it? Uh, LaVey. He was associated yeah. with LaVey in some way. Yeah. Interestingly, he Richard Ramirez visited Anton LaVey before starting his, you know, maybe two two to three years of crime before he was caught. And like, there are different, interestingly divergent stories about how that meeting went. But I mean, not to make it too, not to say it was more than it was, but like, it was either very short or reasonably short, but for sure, like, and well, he was um, he moved around. Richard Ramirez was the, one of the difficult reasons why he was not caught, or one of the reasons why he was not caught is he moved from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, pretty much San Francisco, Southern California, right? Yeah, and his whole mo was to basically do a burglary that would turn into a, you know, essentially an assault or murder on whoever happened to be in the house. So like. You know, it's hard hard enough to, like, prevent just a random burglary, but, like, it's all but impossible when it's, like, literally just, he, he was being random. Like, can't really stop that. Right. I mean, yeah. And they, I think they've, they think that he might have killed more people or done some more stuff. I know that in the documentary that's on Netflix about him, he was raping kids, too. He was, like, a public. Yeah, and that was not well known until fairly recently. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why I didn't hear about that. Because they didn't include that, you know, you just hear the body count type analysis, but I didn't know that. Yeah, they recently got DNA evidence showing that he was involved in the rape and murder of like a a young girl. And that only was in the past couple of years that came out. Wow. Wow. That's that's incredible. That's kind of like the what is it the East Bay rapist? They just caught him due to DNA. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this research is really incredible. I mean, and the Santa Cruz is totally crazy. They really have everything. They had Robert Anton Wilson. They just have the most crazy kind of stuff down there. Wow, back at oh, least yeah. in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Oh yeah. California was like an experimental zone, and they were experimenting all over the place. Experimenting at. Uh, you know, hate Ashbury and these these state institutions and just all kinds of crazy stuff. That's Some right. Sudanese Liberation Army. I mean, it just goes on and on. Hey, Jimmy, do you, do you have time to take a few questions? Yeah, let's do it. I got <clears> one from Joker. He says, just curious what your thoughts on sleeper agents and people being radicalized through mass media and how much social engineering has on the populace. Any thoughts on that? Hmm. I mean, like, I'm definitely familiar with the idea of sleeper agents, you know, just due to like, you know, media, you know, like the Manchurian Candidate movies and so forth. I have not seen a lot of proof, which is not to say that it doesn't exist. You know, like, I'm not trying to be a spoil sport here. I've already found a lot more than I ever thought I would getting into this stuff right Um, right it's it's like the connections are there right Mm -hmm. i i would believe it's 
theoretically possible. The how widespread it is, is kind of an open question for me, for sure. And you got another question from Kindness Cake. She says, Jimmy, do you have an idea of the number of serial killers that have never been caught in the U.S. in the last 40 or so years? Whew, that's outside of my pay grade. Um, I Okay, I will say this. I've been researching recently uh, Israel Keys, right? And he was very particularly interesting because he would essentially study serial killers and study how they got caught. And he basically set his whole life up to never be caught. And that consisted of taking fishing trips in one state, but actually going to another, burying like containers full of weapons. And he called them kill kits years ahead of time. And just like all over the country, he had like at least five or six that the cops found like just truly insane stuff. So like there are probably, there is probably a certain type of person that just would never get caught. I will say that. Right. If I forgot how he got caught, he got caught because he abducted that woman in Alaska, right? He's on video. Yeah. And the, the reason why he got caught was because he sort of like the bloodlust caught up to him. So like he kind of got into a thing where he was getting more into adrenaline based crimes. And so like he started breaking his own rules and that's why he got caught. Not necessarily because if he would have stayed the course, absolutely never would have got caught. It's incredible. Yeah. He was, I mean, I did an interview about him too. Mm -hmm. The woman's title of that book was like the most meticulous serial killer ever. Like really crazy, crazy forethought. Totally. That wasn't insane. Mm -hmm. And then they caught him with like these death's heads. So he had some kind of an occult, yeah, he was and, outright Satanist for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll put all the links to these shows I've done on these done on these subjects in the show notes so people can go back and check those out. Um, another Joseph asks if you could ask Jimmy about Adam 22's father being pardoned by Clinton. Just go off my favorite episode he has on hip hop esoterica. Adam 22 seems sus to me. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I don't know if you know that one too much, uh, William. No, I've never even, I don't even know who Adam 22 is. So I did this episode on the Miami rap scene and there was a particular rapper named XXX Tentacion who, he just died, right? Yeah. He was only like 21. So kind of like a Kurt Cobain type of figure. And, you know, essentially there appears to be like this, I guess you could say satanic pornographer in Miami who appears to basically groom young rappers. And there seems to be a system where if you go live at his house and maybe, I don't know, you know, dot, 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 but like, so Adam 22 is a, he was in the rap industry. I think he had a podcast and he was involved in a couple of ways, but the long and short of it was that he tweeted out a picture of Lil Pump, the rapper. And he said something like from Bruno's house, that was the pornographer to SNL, like performing for SNL in just two years or something kind of like advertising, like, Hey, you get into this pipeline, like you're going to have success, which is just like remarkable because it sort of is perhaps an example of something that rappers have alleged before that there is, you know, maybe a pipeline where if you 
maybe do some satanic stuff or maybe some gay stuff, you know, you might achieve success that you wouldn't normally otherwise achieve. I've heard and, that. I've, I've heard that yeah. about Drake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is the closest I've ever seen to a thing you can actually show people to say, yes, that exists. Wow, that's crazy. I heard Kanye was in some kind of homosexual relationship with an Italian guy who's into oh, really? the cold. Yeah, yeah, I gotta go back and look into that. I know he has associations with Yodorowsky, which is crazy. It's so sad, too, because, like, where did he get in, you know, institutionalized, but UCLA, you know, not, yeah. not a institution that had a history of doing MKUltra related stuff. I mean, didn't didn't West have the neuropsychiatric place there or whatever? I mean, I think so. I, yeah, I think one of his offshoots was there too. Like, there's, uh, let's see, We Steals Plato Snakes asks, curious on your thoughts about Casey Dean Coral, Norman Park, and the Delta Project. I don't know what the Delta Project is. Okay, so so the person asking might already know, but there's a great podcast. Um, I think it's like the Candyman and the it was yes. something like that. Yeah, but just saw that. Yeah, it's, it's about Coral. Yeah, Coral and John Wayne Gacy, and it's amazing. The Delta Project, my understanding, and I'm not you know off the top of my head, I might get some details wrong, but it I think it was a national pedophile network, and I think that it was maybe around Michigan. Curious how, you know, Michigan almost seems like a mini heart of darkness in so many of these stories, right? right. But, yeah, I mean, in this case of Gacy, Coral, and this, both of them had ties to like this, you know, purported uh, pedophile network. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, I think that that's real, man. Like, I think that anytime a serial killer gets caught... I think that the feds are brought in to narrow the scope, right? And right. sort of place most of the blame on just the one guy that happens right. to be most guilty. That's what they did with Sandusky. Man. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was Sandusky. It's the same thing happened with Epstein. Then nobody's caught the perps. Who is he serving these 15 year old kids to? You know, it's, Sandusky was a network. I'm sorry, but that, and I've, I've heard David Ferry was doing that stuff, guy associated mm -hmm. with the JFK assassination, flying young boys around. I mean, that's the weirdest thing of all is that Ferry had a sexual relationship with Oswald, which is yeah, that's Pretty, so crazy. And then it's like Ferry Seal, uh, I don't know, maybe yeah. same area, Ferry yeah. Seal's right there, right after Ferry, same, mm -hmm. same Louisiana whole stuff, yeah. I mean, you, you don't know what Ferry... Ferry was a very intelligent guy and involved in hypnotist, hypnosis as well. But uh, mm -hmm. but you don't know the totality of what he's doing. D drug running, gun running, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Aubrey asks, any connection overlap between true crime as entertainment genre and PTK objectives? You know, this is one of my favorite topics to speculate on. I would love to do more in-depth work along these lines because you know many people have commented on the idea that like certain true crime podcasts are like very what's the word bordering on unsavory the way that they mm -hmm. cover the topics it's like infotainment mm -hmm. 
and like lord knows i'm not trying to like throw rocks in a glass house here you know that's obviously what my show often touches on as well but like you know i think that you could make a case that like just the cottage industry and obviously before it was like true crime tv shows like there's probably a certain level of natural interest and then there's a certain level that is maybe beyond that that's being pushed to sort of freak people out in some sort of like you know mass trauma type of thing because i think if people really study and think about serial killers they think that they're more common and then they might be inclined to like vote certain ways you know there's some sort of interplay there so for sure yeah and at action park i'm pretty sure israel keys his the military will not release his file Mm -hmm. he's very mysterious he has a very mysterious background not other than the white supremacy connections and stuff like that it's weird Um, he actually kind of reminds me a little bit of like timothy mcveigh like in terms of his like background some of his beliefs obviously they did very different things but like yeah, like he was spooked up in some sense for sure. Yeah, and the mom was a cult shopper, like very uh, curious stuff. You know, you mm-hmm. know what happened when he was young. A joker asked, "What do you think of Young Thug getting Rico charges?" I just have to say, free Young Thug, obviously. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> um, I. It is interesting. Um, I am looking along the same lines at the very wide prevalence of snitches in the rap scene my understanding is that maybe everybody is snitching so like when someone goes down it's i really don't think it's always the people that are actually the most guilty you know sometimes it might be for other reasons there's a lot there i'll I'll say that a lot there the name full name of that podcast is the clown and the candy man great podcast uh the Gacy story was basically the Franklin scandal. I think there are overlaps, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm trying to get through all this stuff. Manager is Lior Cohen. Are you familiar with Love, Field, and Love, Patrick's channel, Program to Kill? I've been is that on YouTube? Yes. That's the I one have... where he goes through all the serial killers and stuff. Yeah. Okay. I've heard people say it's pretty good. I have not looked at it. Um but I've heard good things. Yeah, I mean, it's based on McGowan's work. There's a lot of additional mm-hmm. stuff, but visual stuff. Um, let's see. And do you know anything, Conspiracy 1312, anything between the LISC and the connections to the police and wealthy in that area? Do you know uh, what LISC is? I'm actually, I'm not sure I'm familiar. I don't know. I don't know what that acronym is either. I think it might be something to do with, is that uh, Michigan again? I don't know. Here's another one at action. Could you ask Jimmy about the connection between Keys and Elohim Elohim City? Have you ever come across anything like that? You know, I because what I obviously like to do is do a lit, a literature review. So I'll read several books on Israel Keys. I oh, I've only read one so far. So and the one that I read was like, you know, I won't say which, but like it was a little bit. So in terms of Elohim city connections. I would not be surprised, but I haven't got there yet. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the, some messages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the book that I read, um, 
stated for a fact that Keys hung out with the Keogh brothers, that he he was associates with them. And they were kind of infamous white what supremacists. Bank robbers? bank robbers. There was a okay. shootout with cops. Uh, really yeah. aggressive. And there's actually a video of them with the shootout of the cops. I think they both landed in jail. Maybe one got shot and killed. I can't remember. Hmm. Lisk is the Long Island serial killer. Oh, okay. Um, I think I have heard of some of that. I think that mostly what I know is probably just from like, you know, Ed Opperman show, you know, just so I'm by no means an expert on the Long Island serial killer. I am not either. Jimmy, we are at about 50 minutes. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap this up? Yeah, I'll just say my show isn't just serial killers. Um, I do like to talk about intelligence agencies, just normal espionage. Um, You know, I do like to talk about finance, industry, (laughs) some things that sound boring, but then end up not being so... Uh, check out my show for sure. I have a bunch of free episodes, um, uh, you know, anywhere. And then I also have a Patreon where you can get additional content. Uh, S. Yorba's asking, ask Jimmy Dahmer connection with Vice Lords. Have you heard of that? No, that sounds interesting, though. And then do you know any details about Dahmer and the White House tour? I've heard of that, too. Yeah, no, I've tried to find more details there's an, it, like, it's probably not anything that this person hasn't heard, but like, not only did Dahmer get them into the, his, his little class, I think they were in like maybe middle school or high school, but he, for some reason was able to get them special passes to like, see even more of the white house. So it does sort of like raise some questions as to why or how. Yeah. Very, very strange stuff. Um, Back in Milwaukee, Vice Lord's connection with Tom. I don't know that. Do you know anything about the Finger Lakes? The Finger Lakes in, in Washington? No, that's one that I actually want to get cracking into because, like, I keep hearing stuff and, like, it sounds super terrifying. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's back by Cornell. I always think of the Finger Lakes because that's the tattoo that Hunter mm-hmm. Thompson, I mean, Hunter Biden has on his back. It's so mm-hmm. strange. He has weird tattoos. I don't know what's up. He's a, he, he's a, <laughs> just know, like Chet Hanks and his weird tattoos, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, very true. I mean, it's these, the elite kids are very different and he's certainly, mm. di- he's certainly different. Um, so I will put links. You can get his podcast where all good podcasts are found iTunes, Spotify, etc. I will put a link to your Patreon so people mm. can go and listen to this series. Highly recommended. Again, it's Jimmy Fallon gong and the podcast is, programmed to chill so thanks so much for your time thank you very much for having me all right take care stay there stay there